0: Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is legal analyst Michael Zeldin. Thank you to Patreons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias zscore Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, and Greg Schneider. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence. Michael Zeldin, welcome to Counterintelligence.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. It's so great to have you. Uh, Michael, you're a legal analyst uh, who's lectured on impeachment at Harvard, and you were formerly the, uh, let me know if I got this right, the Special Counsel on Money Laundering Matters to Robert Mueller. Is that correct?
1: Yep, at the Justice Department.
0: And I know you held many other positions, but uh, when I was planning the show, that one just stuck out. I mean... Actually, that I mean, that just sounds like such a fascinating job. Was did you when you were at the DOJ? Was there a favorite position that you had there? Anything that you, you know, your favorite job?
1: Well, working for Mueller was really um, quite an experience. He's a good guy, and the work was interesting. And um, just before that, I was the chief of the money laundering section in the Justice Department, and that too was really quite exciting, as money laundering was just coming into its own as an area of prosecution. <laughs>
0: We uh, we get into a fair amount of that stuff at Forensic News, and I just, but I'm, you know, I'm fairly new to that, and it, it really is it's a fascinating line of work. And uh, speaking of which, I mean, do you think the ways that people, since since you worked at DOJ, has money laundering and the ways that it it happens, has that expanded? Has it gotten easier for people to do that kind of thing?
1: Well, um, let me answer it by saying it's both easier to prosecute, and there are more ways to launder money because of um, the manner in which commerce is um, conducted there's um, bitcoins and other sort of currencies cryptocurrencies of that sort and the um, amount of international movement of funds through applications venmo and other types of things Now, all of those companies are working very hard to prevent money launderers from abusing them, but it creates more opportunities than when I first started, which involved people dragging duffel bags full of money (laughs) into branches and banks in Miami and counting it into small increments below the $10,000 reporting requirements.
0: I already know that I have to have you back on to talk about this because as a, a, a fan of many of the 80s movies like Scarface, I'm just already absolutely fascinated by this.
1: Well, so let me just tell you, we would go in Miami in the 1980s. This was, you know, sort of mid to late 80s, and we'd go open up a storage locker, you know, like you see on those shows like Pickers and stuff, Mm -hmm. and it would be completely wall to wall filled with U.S. currency because they couldn't get it into the banks uh, in a way that would avoid detection. And so it would just store in these storage lockers millions of dollars in storage lockers just sitting there waiting for people to come and take it in small increments into banks or to load it into cargo and try to ship it out of the United States pretending it was trade products.
0: That is absolutely incredible. And now you can do things with computers and you don't need that big duffel bag anymore, I guess. Well, no. In in the case of drugs, for
1: example, and other um, things, um, human trafficking and weapons, still a lot of that is um, sold in for um, cash. Now, if you want to buy drugs, illegal drugs on the street, generally speaking, you're going to buy it in currency, and that currency accumulates. And if you're a larger organization, it accumulates rapidly, and you've got to figure out how to get it into international commerce so that it's, you're not detected and that you can move it back to the true owners of it, wherever they may be.
0: Incredible. Uh, yeah, I read this book called Moneyland, and I, it's just a world that I, I'm sure people like you have known about it for a long time, but I don't think the general public really understands that this is, for some people, a way of life, and uh, not just drug dealers. There's people moving their money around, and uh, it's, it's just incredible. I'm, we're definitely going to have to do another show on that. Uh,
1: okay. Well, try to um, convince people that money laundering isn't just <laughs> leaving cash in your jeans when you throw it in the washing machine. No, that's me. <laughs> Um hmm. well, there you are a launderer
0: Now you lecture on Har you lecture at Harvard on impeachment and uh, that's what today's show is about. So I thought maybe we'd first just start if we could just kind of bring everyone up to speed by starting at the beginning, which is if you could, why is uh, Donald Trump the subject of an impeachment inquiry if you could
1: So Donald Trump is the subject of an impeachment inquiry for the commission of what the Democrats believe is a high crime and misdemeanor, and that is soliciting the interference in the U.S. election by a foreign government for his personal benefit. So the allegation in its most raw raw form is that the President of the United States asked the President of Ukraine to uh, induct a favor for him which is to investigate the Biden's. And um, this was not really a favor that the Ukrainian president had a right to refuse, if you will, it was a godfather-like, and it was a favor that um, couldn't be refused because the president said, in essence, if you do not do this favor, investigate the Bidens for me, The matter of your desire to have a meeting with me at the White House and or for me to release $400 million in vitally needed military aid will not be forthcoming. So he made him an offer he couldn't refuse in in essence, and that is the object of the Democrats' inquiry in respect of whether or not that violates the Constitution.
0: It's amazing how often the Godfather, like I know, even in Roger Stone's trial right now, the Godfather is—it's just a movie that has such a pervasive influence uh, on—and in both cases, really, really applies. I mean, doesn't it? You're right. He, the President Zelensky, had no choice, did he?
1: No. In fact, he said that he said, you know, sort of, but for a stroke of luck—that is, the whistleblower indicating that this all was going on because prior to the whistleblower calling the whistle, blowing the whistle, nobody knew that this was going on except for the participants, that Zelensky was on the brink of having an interview with a cable television network in which he was going to say that which he was told he had to say in order to get his military aid. It's stunning, but that's where we were.
0: He was in a very tough spot. I mean, he's a, a TV actor, he's a president, I'm, I am i don't know what his experience in politics was. I don't think it was anything. And then
1: there, he had no, no right. experience. He was a, he was a
0: comedian. Right. Uh, up against, Great. The, we have a reality
1: TV, <laughs> um, president talking to a comedian and, you, and, and, you, and, the, and, 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 peace on earth is in the balance.
0: You, you really do. I know. And he, I, I just love that also that he played the president on a TV show, like in u in Ukraine that you, you couldn't, you couldn't even make that up. I don't like, it's like a Mel Are Brooks you? movie.
1: Right. The script would have been rejected as um, too fanciful.
0: <laughs> so he, uh, uh, correct. So he's in that position. Uh, and it, I believe it was contingent on uh, Javelin missiles and maybe some other type of aid. Uh, do I have that more or less correct? So
1: Congress authorized approximately $400 million in military aid to Ukraine. Remember, Ukraine is, um, has been invaded by Russia. They've annexed the Crimea section of um, Ukraine, and at war are these two countries. And Ukraine is a um, NATO ally, if I remember correctly, and um, we have an obligation to defend our NATO allies, and the process by which we, uh, one of the processes by which we did that is to Have Congress authorized military aid, which was about 10% of their entire military budget, which is a lot, because our um, Javelin missiles and other things is about as sophisticated as you know aspect of their defense systems as as they had. And the president, and it seems today through the testimony that was just released, um, his acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, put a hold on that again pending the public release of a statement by the president of Ukraine that he was going to investigate Burisma, the gas company on which Hunter Biden sat, and um, the Bidens generally, and also whether or not the Ukraine had any role in helping the Democrats in the 2016 election instead of the Russians helping Trump, there was this theory that actually it was the Ukrainians who were trying to help Clinton, and that's what that's about.
0: It's like even no matter how many times I talk about this with someone, I still get confused. Like, and I'm and I'm I know more about this than uh, you know most people, and it's just. But I Probably guess we, me? no, no, definitely not you. Uh, but it. it And now we're finding out that some of this stuff, uh, not to get too much off on a tangent, but it originated with uh, Manafort. It sounds like he planted some of these ideas in Trump's head. I don't know.
1: Uh, Yeah, there were a lot of people who were conducting a whispering campaign that Ukraine was actually helping the uh, Democratic National Committee and the Democrats generally, and that um, the... Prosecution of the Bidens or the investigation of the Bidens for corruption was scuttled by uh, then Vice President Biden, and you know whether it's true or not, no one has said um, definitively. There's not much evidence to support it, but you know maybe it maybe it's maybe it's true, but irrespective of whether it's true or not, it should not be that the President of the United States, in my estimation asks that the president of Ukraine make a public statement that he is investigating the Bidens and the allegations of Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election to favor Clinton. It seems to me, having spent a lot of time in the Justice Department, that if you want to have a foreign government investigate criminal behavior by U.S. citizens, that there is a formal process that one goes through, through the Office of International Affairs in in the Justice Department, working through the State Department. We have a lot of bilateral, meaning country to country, treaties about evidence sharing and evidence gathering. And if you wanted to have a real investigation of these allegations, that's the way in which you do it. If you want to have a show, a pretend investigation, just to maximize political damage, you have the person um who's authorized to make that statement the president of Z- uh, of Ukraine Zelensky say it out loud in public just think to yourself in watching television how many investigations on all of the police shows that you watch are begun by saying in a public statement we're going to be investigating this crime family it just doesn't happen that way it happens behind closed doors so that People aren't tipped off that there's an investigation ongoing and they can't take remedial steps to avoid detection. It's just logical, <laughs> you know, it's, police 101.
0: It's sort of ironic that a president who basically is is president because he was on television, along with some other reasons, uh, maybe didn't uh, sort of didn't quite see the optics or maybe can't help himself. I don't know. That's probably another conversation. But, uh
1: I, I just I mean, did, all only had to do was watch <laughs> LA Law and he would have been he would have been set
0: there's so many great crime shows uh, <clears throat> hey that, that'd be a good field for you too uh, consulting for T Hollywood I don't know if you've done that but I'm
1: no not yet but if anyone listening wants to, uh, <laughs> to have me help them just give a call is <laughs> help.
0: yeah it seems like the the it seems like the, the comical aspect is I just feel like you know you lecture at Harvard on this. I feel like if you were laying out a fictional scenario of quid pro quo, I mean, wouldn't this like you can't make this up? This is literally what you, what you would teach in a law class, no?
1: Well, you know, this let, let's take one step back for a second, which is quid pro quo, meaning you know this for that or something for something, is is a concept which you know sort of in day to day parlance now. Is sort of pejorative, meaning that there was a quid pro quo meaning, some underhanded deal. Uh, I've talked about before how the most obvious and painful perhaps quid pro quo in in recent times is when Obama was um, elected president and his Senate seat became vacant and the governor of Illinois had the power to appoint somebody to that vacant seat, he essentially sold it endeavor to sell it, saying, whoever gives me the most money, I will appoint to the seat. That's a illegal quid pro quo, where someone has the power to do something under law, the governor of Illinois, and instead of just doing it principally, in a principled manner, he decides to do it in an underhanded, illegal manner. Um, but the notion that there has to be a quid pro quo, a criminal act, for there to be an impeachable Offense and abuse of the powers of your office is just not correct. You can abuse the powers of your office without also committing a crime. And so, to my sort of analysis of what the president is accused of, what the president is accused of when you, as he wants us to do, read the transcript, when you read the transcript, what you see the president saying to the president of Ukraine is, look, We've been very kind to you, but you haven't reciprocated adequately. So I'm going to ask you a favor, and this is the favor, that you investigate um, the gas company Burisma that Hunter Biden was on the board of, that you look into the Bidens generally, and that you uh, investigate whether or not Ukraine had anything to do with the meddling in the U.S election of 2016 in favor of the Clintons, in and of itself, stopping right there. I think that's abusive, violative of the president's authority, and should be analyzed under the high crimes and misdemeanor standards. When you add on top of it him saying, by the way, if you don't want to do this favor that I've just asked for, investigate the Bidens and and the Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election allegations, I'm not going to give you your military aid, and I'm not going to let you have a meeting that you desperately want at the White House. That's the quid pro quo, but it's only a secondary part of the initial abuse of office, which is the ask that they conduct a Public investigation into his political rival, for his personal political gain, because there was no national security need for that, and in fact it probably to the using the words of Zelensky, undermined the possibility that there'd be bipartisan support of Ukraine going forward. so he worked against the national interests for his own personal um, political interest before you even get to the quid pro quo part of it.
0: It sort of even makes you wonder like it's so it's so out in the open. I mean, just a com just for a commentary i I often find myself wondering why we even have to go through this process. I mean, I understand it, but it just seems like because that's what the Constitution yeah. requires
1: it's, yeah it's a, it's a little thing the Constitution yeah. I, I, I get it, but that's it's, what it requires.
0: It just seems like people this should have caused mass demonstrations, and again, this is just my own commentary, but it seems like the people should be so outraged by this. Uh, yeah, they it's are. pretty
1: outrageous. It is pretty outrageous. When you compare it in some respects to Clinton, he um, lied under oath, completely unacceptable about a, an affair that he had with Monica Lewinsky, completely immoral. It's an argument whether or not that lie about that affair is the type of behavior that the founding Fathers had in mind when they um, drafted the, the Constitution, and had um, Article, uh, the the uh, Article Two, Section Four, impeachment clause, which were to be offenses essentially against the public trust. So maybe you can argue it was, maybe you can argue it wasn't, but it was you know a purely domestic matter. Nixon, similarly, he was um, engaged in. Domestic um, criminal activity, the um, break in at the Watergate, the covering up of the Watergate, the use of the FBI and the IRS and the CIA for his personal political gain, again, within the um, boundaries of the United States. Here, what makes this different and perhaps worse is that it involves another country investigating a U.S. citizen to help the current president of the United States obtain a political advantage in an upcoming election. And that implicates national security as well as the types of domestic things that we saw in Clinton and Nixon. So it may, may, may make it a different level of wrongdoing.
0: Can you now maybe bring us up to speed? So today, uh, Friday, I'd like to maybe just bring everyone up to speed on where are we right now? Every committee is doing their investigation. And I mean, what, what is going on in the impeachment uh, as of right now?
1: So where we are is here, that the House decided it would first hold closed-door hearings to obtain the testimony of witnesses with um, first-hand knowledge of the activities that are under um, the impeachment inquiry. And that's normal in an investigation if you think about sort of a grand jury. Um, The way that works is that they gather that evidence in secret, in quiet, so that witnesses don't know what other witnesses are saying, so that you get an honest or hopefully honest answer, witness by witness, once those closed door grand jury-like hearings are completed. Then um, you move to a more public phase where in the impeachment context, people need to know what it is that's at the heart of what is essentially the nuclear option in our constitution, which is to remove an elected president from from office. And so we've gone from the grand jury-like stage to what will start on Wednesday of next week, the public stage of those witnesses repeating their testimony. They are in the interim releasing the transcripts of those secret grand jury-like um, preliminary um, interviews so that people have a chance to read and understand what's going on, understand um, where each witness fits in when they take uh, to the witness stand. The first two I, sa- I said on Wednesday, or the first one on Wednesday, the second on on Friday, and then after the public phase of the process is complete, they'll make a determination, Congress will, whether or not that conduct rises to the level of an impeachable offense. And if it does, the House Judiciary Committee and then the House itself will vote on whether or not an article of impeachment, which essentially is an indictment, um, should be uh, returned. And if that indictment or article of impeachment is returned, then that indictment goes over to the United States Senate, which then acts as the trial body for that indictment. And the way the numbers work is that in order to get an article of impeachment slash indictment passed through the House, you need a simple majority. In order to remove a president in a trial in the Senate, you need a supermajority, 67 votes. So it's not easy. No one has ever been removed that has been um, tried. There have only been two, Johnson, Andrew Johnson and, and Clinton, because Nixon resigned before he got to trial. He probably would have lost, but neither Johnson nor Clinton uh, were removed, neither um, achieved the 67 votes or whatever, the two-thirds vote um, necessary for removal. So it's, an, it's, a, you know, it's a complicated, cumbersome process by design, because you do not want people to be impeached just because there are policy differences between them. That's what elections are for.
0: Can you imagine? Like, what do you think the founding fathers would have if they could have seen like Donald Trump? Like, come on! Like, I just, I just, I don't know. That that would make a good play or a comedy or something. I just feel well, like
1: you know, um, you can. You know, Hamilton was fairly successful. Maybe you can. Maybe you can follow up with part two uh, and. You know, be Trump or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, a new a new yeah, career get, for me. Get get
1: to work. Yeah.
0: So, uh, my understanding with impeachment is that the Constitution laid out only sort of a. It's almost like a sketch. So, how is the modern uh, the way it's being conducted? Would you which you just described? Has there been any framework, or is this coming from Clinton? I mean, how has this been laid out, and who laid it out?
1: Well, the the, the House and the Senate has laid have laid it out. As they've encountered it, and so they are essentially drafting the rules of the road, because the uh, the framers of the Constitution only said exclusive power of impeachment lies in the House. And again, we keep I keep saying articles of impeachment, which is what the Constitution tells us to call it. But for the listening audience, that is essentially equivalent to the indictment. So the House has the Sole authority to indict, charge the president with a crime, and that's what it says essentially, and that the Senate is the sole body to try the the impeached person to um, verdict. And if convicted by 67, in this case, votes, that person then shall be removed. And the thing that's important to remember here is that. The penalty for a conviction upon an article of impeachment is removal from the office. It's not you go to jail or anything of that sort. It's just you are removed from office. Once removed from office, if the conduct that gave rise to your removal was criminal, then it's possible that you could be charged with that criminal behavior. But the impeachment process was not designed to be you know, sort of criminally punitive meaning you go to jail, but rather it is what I call the violation of the public trust that you no longer are deserving of the trust of the American people, and therefore we are going to remove you from your position.
0: What do you think about, this is a question that I, I is an important one to me, what do you think about the Democrats' strategy? They focused in an administration that, as history looks back on this, will probably have more we will definitely have more scandals than than any, they've, they've picked one. Do you think that was solid, or should this have been a mass sort of a real look at the crimes of this administration?
1: Well, it's a great question, and I'm not 100% sure that the Congress won't, as it gets underway in the public part of this, stay limited to the Ukraine quid pro quo shakedown that we discussed earlier, or whether they will also try to look at some of the obstruction of justice allegations that Mueller made in his report. It, it remains to be seen, and I think it's dependent upon whether or not Congress obtains the testimony of Don McGahn. That's a that's the former White House counsel who refused to testify, and um, the House Judiciary Committee has. Sought to enforce its subpoena, and it's pending before a judge in D.C. to determine whether or not he has to comply with that subpoena or not. As well, the House has sought the grand jury testimony of witnesses from Mueller. A court has ruled in favor of the House obtaining that, but it's on appeal also. So if the House obtains McGann's testimony and the grand jury material, and they feel that in looking at all of that, there's a case to be made for obstruction of justice pursuant to volume two of the Mueller report, there's nothing to prevent them from bringing that in. But right now, as far as we know, everything is um, the allegations that relate to Ukraine and um, nothing, nothing more. And, you know, probably, probably um, at this point, until you get uh, further um, elaboration of what Mueller found and the Mueller witness testimony, that's probably correct because the rest of the disagreements with the president seem to be policy-based. And it's quite clear that um, the framers of the Constitution did not believe that policy differences should give rise to impeachment. Policy differences are resolved by voting.
0: Because it seems to me that... If I was just, I mean, maybe I'm not a lawyer or anything, but it seems to me that laying out the case in a big picture day after day on TV is the way to win and the way to, and not just Ukraine, which is very confusing for most people. I mean, like I said, I get confused by it, but all the things that have happened, I mean, I I was thinking about today about Puerto Rico, the hurricane, and then separately, the thing that happened where he told the weathermen not to, you know, that Alabama was going to, I mean, all these things. I just. Right, I just but, but Yeah. Sorry.
1: Go on. No. Go ahead. I no. No. No, no. Be, uh, no. I should Please. let the questioner answer the ask the question <laughs> before I before I, I answer it. So go I, ahead.
0: I'm not out. a lawyer, but I am an expert in optics, working in Hollywood, and I just feel like if I know you have to focus on something, but I also feel like focusing so narrowly on Ukraine is going to confuse people. I mean, what do you think?
1: Well, I think essentially the opposite. I think oh. that. Um, Impeachment should be a targeted act. That is, the Constitution provides for impeachment for three reasons. Treason, which is not the case here, because he did not um, support an enemy of the United States at war. Um, Bribery, I don't think the president's conduct in its worst um, configuration rises to the level of um, a bribery slash extortion. So we fall into this question of high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think that the framers of the Constitution in the debates at the Constitutional Convention and in the ratification debates on a state by state basis made it quite clear that uh, maladministration of office, just like doing a lousy job in office or doing a job that I disagree with in office, is not a grounds for impeachment. So, one could argue that the president's Syria policy, the president's um, failure to to act um, in in the Puerto in the face of the Puerto Rican hurricane, that his climate denial and all the other things that that people take object you know take offense to, that is a ballot box issue. That is not. Um, uh, high crimes or misdemeanors, and and so I'm one who wants to read the Constitution very narrowly to say, tell me the high crime and misdemeanor that this person committed, and I will tell you whether I think the person should stay or be removed from office. But if you're telling me, I just don't like this guy, I don't like anything he stands for, I don't like his policies, then vote him out of office. But you cannot impeach him for those reasons.
0: What? What about just just for the sake of argument, and and I, I hear what you're saying, but let's say going back to Puerto Rico, uh, you know, American citizens were obviously killed in a a weather incident, and the president essentially did nothing. Um, do you think that's a ballot issue, or could that be? Is that something neglecting your duty as president? Uh,
1: I think it's a ballot issue. I mean, I understand the argument that 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 he has an obligation to faithfully uphold the. The, the laws of the United States and sort of a basic law of the United States is to um, take care of our own. Um, but I think that that really is a ballot issue much more than... I mean, there's it's, it an immorality to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know that it rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors as contemplated by the framers of the Constitution.
0: As a prosecutor, did you apply the same strategy? And I just mean in general, like when, when you... Make a case is it it's targeted? I guess it's not there's a, there's a parallel here. you don't you don't uh, it's, it has to be a targeted thing to win a conviction, not just throwing everything at the wall, correct?
1: Yep, and you, normally you start with now things could expand over the course of an investigation, just like watergate, if you, if you will, Watergate was a um, a break in to the uh, an office in the Watergate um, um, office complex. It got its name because that was literally the name of the the building in which this office that was broken into um, by Nixon's men um, resided. Um, And, you know, so you were investigating a break-in, and then it turned out to be, you know, Watergate and the removal of President Nixon. So things can grow, but normally speaking, you start with a, a targeted area of inquiry, and um, you start building the blocks of that prosecution or, not, you know, you can always um, investigate and decide not to prosecute, but you, you're building the blocks of, you know, toward reaching a judgment of whether to prosecute or not prosecute. And then, as I said, it can stay narrowly focused if it's a very um, narrow investigation. Did this person steal this car? It could be quite narrow, or was this a uh, racketeering, influence, corrupt mob organization that has its hands in all sorts of vice-related activities, which is a much broader investigation. But yes, normally you start with a specific topic, and you um, inquire of it and see where the facts take you.
0: How do you think overall, I have to say, a major concern, and it could just be maybe I don't understand something about the issue, but numerous witnesses have just either said they're not going to show up. And some say it's because they still work for Trump and some don't work there. And they're just, they seem to be applying this executive privilege. I mean, the Democrats haven't really seemed to enforce any sort of penalties. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on, on that aspect of this, uh, of what's going on? Right.
1: So I think that when the house moved from legislative oversight to, impeachment it empowered it to obtain evidence that it may have had a more difficult time prior to the impeachment inquiry being opened to obtain and so once they are operating under an impeachment you know sort of umbrella then they act in a sense as a judicial body and i think that they therefore legally are entitled to the evidence that they seek by subpoena, documents and witness testimony. And I think that when witnesses elect to decline to appear, that they should be held in contempt and there should be actions taken against them because I do not think that they are solid legal ground to refuse to cooperate with the impeachment hearing. And we'll see what the Democrats decide to do about this right now. They're, you know, sort of in this bit of a rock and hard place position because they want this to, you know, go quickly and um, be resolved, you know, somewhere in the early um, 2020 time period, so as to not really be an interference in the election. And they're stuck with courts who are, you know, trying to Move quickly, but are taking their time in resolving whether or not these witnesses and these documents that are sought must be turned over. So the 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 administration's strategy by not allowing witnesses to testify, I think, um, should be seen for what it is, which is a delay. Yeah. And the Democrats, for what you know, for what it's worth, are trying to figure out whether to you know. I think Adam Schiff said yesterday that he's not going to play rope a dope with um with the Republicans on this. If they're not gonna proceed to produce the information that they want, he's just gonna write it down as an obstruction of Congress, article of impeachment, and he's gonna move forward. He's just not gonna, you know, be Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman.
0: <laughs> I need to up my boxing knowledge, although I think I, I think I understand the That analogy. was the rope dope. That oh, was that's, the dope. Okay. <laughs> what what it was
1: was um, George Foreman was a very powerful boxer and um, Ali um, essentially went into the ring and just covered up, and Foreman just pounded away at Ali round after round until he essentially exhausted himself, and then Ali decided to fight and, and won. And what Schiff is saying is, you know, I'm not going to be in this position where I just take, you know, take pounding after pounding after pounding, um, only to, to lose. I'm just going to say, fine, you don't want to cooperate? That's an article of obstruction of Congress. Let's keep going.
0: I, I'm very concerned, you know. I, I again, not an expert, not a lawyer, but what I, I do know a little bit about criminal justice, and what I see is once a, once a group of people has gotten the word out that you can do whatever you want, it doesn't get any better. And I just, I don't know. I'm I'm very concerned. I mean, I, I guess it sounds like you think that Schiff is doing okay, but I, what I see is just lawless, lawlessness and I, running free, and I don't I don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, what do what do you think?
1: Well, you know, it, it's a great question, and it sort of remains to be seen whether, whether or not um, people get away with something which I think is um, something for which they should be held accountable. Um, but as I said, I think Adam Schiff is in a difficult position because of the timeline here. this was earlier in the administration or in trump's um second term then you have a little bit more privilege remember nixon's bad conduct started at the end of his first term and he was impeached in his second term they don't want to go through that process they 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 feel the imperative of time and um it, it, it you know it's the best they can do under the circumstances
0: overall how do you think the just in general how do you think the Democrats are are doing conducting this I mean uh, Shit look Schiff is my congressman I I'm, I'm a big supporter of his but what do you think I mean this is such a rare historical event I don't know if it's easy to have an opinion but how are they doing
1: well I think they're doing okay I mean I think that um, it was unfortunate that at one of the public hearings um, congressman Schiff decided to parody that um, conversation with the President, I think that um, was a mistake. I think that um, the congressional committees, as is um, often the case, um, had unfortunate leaks um, which you know give the other side something to yell about. You know the, there's an expression as a lawyer, which is if you if the law is on your side, um, argue the law. If the facts are on your side, argue the facts. If neither are on your side, just argue about the process. And that's what they've been doing. They've been arguing about the process because neither the law or facts at the moment are on, on their side. So they're trying to do the best they can to um, discredit Schiff and his, and his process. But I think overall, their Schiff is doing a good job under the circumstances that he's faced with.
0: It's unimaginable circumstance. I can't imagine the pressure that you feel knowing you're Literally, the history is looking at what you're doing, and, and Schiff is literally in charge of this. It must be, it must be hard to sleep at night sometimes. I would imagine.
1: And the president is calling you names. I mean, that's another thing that I find, you know, sort of not impeachable offense, but just unbecoming the office of the president that that he would um, elect to call people um, in, in in pejorative terms, these 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 silly nicknames. It, what presidents should do, just like they shouldn't at rallies, uh, curse. I just don't think that that's what presidents do.
0: Many thing, many things Public. we never thought we'd see.
1: Yep, uh, this is the first time for a lot of things.
0: <laughs> yeah, Howard Dean had to end his campaign for speaking too loudly into a microphone. Remember those times? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: remember. I remember the. I remember. I remember very well.
0: Yeah, uh, we were we and, were so uh, young then. Others,
1: right? And uh, Edward... Edwin Muskie had to end his campaign for sort of crying in public. I mean, there are lots of norms that the current president has broken through. And we'll see what happens once he's no longer president, whether we return to those norms or those are the, the new normals. And, you know, we have to get on with it.
0: Once we get to the Senate, I know the trial, again, is sketched out only in the, in the Constitution very sort of vaguely. What do you think we can expect to see in the, in the Senate trial?
1: Well, the, the Senate trial of a president is presided over by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. So he will preside over, over, the, over the trial. Um, the process of calling witnesses and cross-examining witnesses and making arguments and closing arguments sort of will follow, I expect, that which we saw in Clinton, which each side has their lawyers there in the well of the Senate, and they will make their arguments pro and con. And um, if Chief Justice Roberts needs to uh, intervene as, as the judge, I guess he has some power to do so, though the Constitution doesn't expressly ex- uh, set forth what those powers are. And then at the end of closing argument in the Senate, the senators will vote. And if they get to 67, and the president will be removed. If they don't, it'll be as it was in Clinton, where uh, he's not convicted and he gets to remain in office.
0: I guess my goal, I, I no matter what, I just hope all the facts come out and the American people get a full picture of the events that transpired, and I think that's all that you can hope for, and then the rest is up to, uh, I guess, the history.
1: Well, the rest is up to the Senate. That's
0: I mean, true. What, you, what you hope
1: is that through the process that the house is undertaking now which is public hearings and um the calling of witnesses with you know sort of firsthand knowledge of the allegations that you know, gave rise to this impeachment inquiry that the american people get to hear that that the house treats those allegations fairly and um, with great sobriety because this is something that shouldn't happen very frequently and if they elect to impeach you know return an article of impeachment and indictment that the Senate likewise with sobriety takes its responsibilities to the constitution seriously and that they do that above party interests that this vote in the Senate if there is one one would can only hope that the senators have greater loyalty to the Constitution than they have to their individual political parties, because that would be what the real tragedy of this would be.
0: One thing I think about, just going back to the way this is being conducted, the I mean, barring something that we don't see coming, the odds are almost certain that the Republicans will vote to acquit should it go to a trial unless something happens. And I, I think of the phrase phoning it in that they say in Hollywood all the time, and I just feel like if I'm going to lose let's put it all out there. And I just wonder about this fast timeline and then we lose and then we're back to where we were. I don't know. I just, yeah. I
1: no, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great, um, point. And, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, I, I am personally conflicted as well, whether or mm-hmm. not you just keep going, even if it, you know, drags out much longer than you'd like it to drag out, um, from, uh, timeline standpoint, because that's what the process requires, or whether you do this um, truncated process uh, so as to not have this ongoing during the 2020 presidential campaign season. I I don't think there's an easy answer to that. I don't even know if there's a, a right answer to it. All we have is what the current answer is, and we'll have to see how it plays out.
0: I just have one more question, and it's just something I have to ask you because you're here. I mean, I know you worked with Mueller, but this is more just a general question. I mean, what did you, because this is your first time on the show, what did you think of the Mueller report? What did you think of the investigation and any thoughts that you have on the the report itself?
1: Well, so that's a question that we can answer quickly now, and we can have a longer (laughs) conversation at at another time. But I thought several things about the, 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 the Mueller report when compared to the report that Ken Starr wrote about Clinton the Mueller report read more like a law review article meaning much more dense and not easily understood and the Starr report read more like a uh, a work of nonfiction with a beginning middle and end which was much more readable so the report that Mueller wrote was almost too dense to for the average reader to follow the narrative of. And so I'm um, sorry for that because in the report itself you see a lot of hard work um, that went into determining what happened in respect of the collusion allegations and the obstruction of justice allegations. Um, but it is a book that nobody has really read. And unfortunately, when Mueller came to testify, what would have been sort of the movie version of the book, uh, it was a flop. He was a he was a, too reluctant to witness. He didn't tell a narrative that people could grasp. And I think that's in large measure why nothing is happening with the Mueller report, notwithstanding uh, some very troubling findings contained within it.
0: Michael Zeldin, I want to thank you so much for coming on Counterintelligence. Uh, there's so much to talk about, and I really hope you can come back on and we can talk about all these things, uh, uh, money laundering, Mueller, uh, everything else. I really hope you can come back on real soon. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic News Net. Counterintelligence is at IntelPod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric Leve, and this is Counterintelligence.